Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. It's hump day. That's right. We are closer to Friday than we were on Monday. That is a good thing to start a day off with. Coming up at 635, Liz Harrington will join us. I want to talk to her about recent polling numbers that people, you know, I get a lot of emails and a lot of texts and people are freaking out because the polling numbers are so uh, skewed towards uh, Biden. Let me remind you, it was that way in 2016. Uh, a lot of people are not being uh, honest uh, when asked by uh, pollers who they're going to vote for. Uh, I, I expect to see the same thing happen this time around that happened the last time around. And that means that uh, President Trump will be reelected. Uh, it is very difficult to stop somebody uh, who is the incumbent from being reelected. Uh, that has only happened a few times. The last time was when George Bush, uh, the elder, ran for reelection. It was defeated by Bill Clinton. But the only reason that happened was because, uh, you know, we had uh, the Ferengi who came into that, uh, Ross Perot, and uh, he drew away enough votes from President Bush to keep him from being reelected. So we've, uh, we don't have a third-party candidate of that strength. I don't think COVID-19 is uh, a strong enough uh, one topic uh, to cause a problem uh, for the president. Uh, I want to talk to Liz about how the incessant drumbeat of the media is so negative about the president. See what she has to say about that. But that's all coming up here in about uh, 20, 25 minutes. So stick around. That'll be an interesting discussion. Liz is always well-spoken and very uh, uh, articulate about uh, the issues of the day. Seven o'clock, uh, we'll have uh, Congressman French Hill He'll come in for his weekly time that he spends on the uh, Dave Ellswick show to keep you up to date on what's going in Washington, D.C., uh, and that's where he's at right now. So we'll talk to him. We'll talk about how Pelosi and Schumer both already completely said no way we're going to do anything with them. They are Republicans on a uh, uh, COVID-19 phase four bill and uh, so we'll have to talk to him about that. And then uh, at 735, 
Congressman Bruce Westerman from the 4th District will join us for a half hour, and we'll talk to him and get his thoughts on a lot of things that are happening in uh, D.C. and in uh, the, the Congress. And then last but not least, Joe and Duck join us in the final hour, and we'll be talking cars right here on the uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. Everybody is going to be on the show today by phone, just so you'll know. So uh, they'll be calling in as we continue our social distancing right now. And uh, my doctor has asked me not to come into the studio uh, for until she says, go for it. Uh, had a meeting with her yesterday. Was not the most positive meeting I've had with her. But uh, we'll just see what has to happen uh, here in the near future. The CDC is uh, reporting. This is from the, uh, the uh, director, Robert Redfield, saying, quote, We're seeing, sadly, far greater suicides now than we are deaths from COVID. We're seeing far greater deaths from drug overdose that are far above excess that we had as background, then we are seeing the deaths from uh, COVID. Uh, COVID-19, this is something that was brought up uh, early on, that if you continue to force people to stay at home, if you continue to force to keep the economy shut down so that people don't get to go to work, don't get to socialize, don't get to see their friends, don't even get to see their enemies, uh, it causes, <clears throat> excuse me, causes problem, problems uh, for be- people mentally. He said that suicides and drug o- overdoses have surpassed the death rate now for COVID-19. Now, how many people are going to start screaming out, well, we need to open up then. We can't just let these people die. Uh, I mean, uh, this is the ongoing, my my son came to me yesterday. Uh, this this goes right along with this and says to me, Dad, how do you discuss with somebody about COVID-19 when somebody says just one death is too many? And I said, son, there's only what you can say is if one death is too many, then why are we still driving cars? You know, I mean, uh, if one death is too many. Until we can figure out a way to drive cars so that there are no deaths, then we should do away with cars. And it's like that with a whole lot of other things. People who go in and have surgery, you know, there's a percentage of people that die during surgery. Does that mean we shouldn't do surgeries anymore or only do the surgery or you're 100% that the person that's having the surgery doesn't die? It's hard for people to get their hands around this, that death is something that's going to happen. Now, it's up to a society to decide what is the acceptable rate for anything that perhaps may be uh, causing death. What's the acceptable rate? Uh, Right now, as they're looking at all the people that are being tested, and are being found that are infected, they're finding that the death rate is just a little above regular uh, uh, flu deaths during uh, a time when the flu is around. 
Redfield argued that lockdowns and lack of public schooling constituted a disproportionately negative impact on young people's mental health. He said, we're seeing, sadly, far greater suicides now than we are deaths from COVID. We're seeing far greater deaths from drug overdoses that are above excess that we had as background than we are seeing the deaths from COVID. Roughly 146,000 people have died from COVID or COVID-related causes in the U.S. Now, that's important to, to understand. He just said 146,000 people have died from COVID-19 or COVID-related causes. So when you look at death rates for other diseases, do you look at the death rates that are caused by the disease and then look at the deaths caused by the disease with other factors in, in, included? The most recent publicized federal data records 48,000 deaths from suicide and at least 1.4 million attempts uh, just in 2018. In 2019, almost 71,000 people died from drug overdoses. Add that together, all right? Add that together. That's what, 100 and uh, something thousand uh, dying of uh, suicide and of uh, uh, drug overdoses. Uh, Dr. John Weir Medical Center at Walnut Creek, California, claimed his facility has seen a year's worth of suicide attempts in the last four weeks. He did not say how many deaths occurred or whether the statement was exaggerated for emphasis. That's weird. Uh, What I've seen recently, I have never seen before. I have never seen so much intentional injury, said a nurse from the same hospital. And while health authorities will not have verified data regarding suicides and drug overdoses in 2020 for two more years... Local reporting indicates that suicide fatalities have increased from year to year. Now, the president brought that up way back when we were talking about shutting everything down, that there could be some real increases in uh, you know, suicides and real increases in drug overdoses. And everybody, oh, the media poo-pooed that. Oh, no, no, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. That won't be that many. And yet, yet that's exactly now what we're, we're, saying, we're, we're seeing happen. Uh, the Chicago Sun-Times looks specifically at black populations. And in Cook County, Illinois, the number of suicide deaths is already higher than for all of 2019. In Yakima County, Washington, the suicide rate has risen 30%. Between March 15 and April 29, as many people committed suicide in Queens, New York, than did between January 1st and April 29th of the year prior. Uh, Ulster County reported a significant increase in both suicides and drug overdoses, both fatal and non-fatal. Historical trends give reason to believe the suicide rate may rise due to extenuating extenuating circumstances caused by COVID-19, including unemployment and social isolation. 
17 minutes after 6, the Dave Ellswick Show. I got more coming back with you in a moment. All right, 20 minutes after 6, news coming up at the bottom of the hour. Following the news, uh, we'll have Liz Harrington from the RNC on with us. She's going to talk about polling numbers, things of that nature. You won't want to miss that. Uh, Monday night, uh, Tucker Carlson had Jason Rance on from Seattle. He's a talk show host up there talking about the rioting going on in uh, Seattle over the last few weeks and then extrapolating out into Portland and some other areas where this is happening, where there's Democrats that are saying, well, I'm not seeing any kind of rioting. I mean, Nadler is a perfect example of that. Uh, he was stopped and interviewed on the street as he was, I don't know, come back from lunch or something there in Washington, D.C., and said that there was no such thing as Antifa in Portland. And he also said that uh, all that stuff you're hearing about Portland uh, is exaggerated. And then all you got to do is watch, you know, what's going on in Portland from people who are there. And you know that it's not exaggerated. Anyway, here's the the uh, piece that uh, Tucker had on with Jason Rance. I want you to hear what he had to say here on the Dave Ellswick Show. So you just had a lot of violence in the city of Seattle over the weekend. Tell us what you saw and tell us what the reaction from local government was, please. Well, it's almost like we're dealing with a master class of gaslighting, because I know what I saw, and I know what a lot of people who saw the images that I posted online saw, which was violence, which was arson against five construction trailers, which was a Starbucks that was completely ransacked and someone tried to set it on fire. And they didn't, of course, stop at Starbucks. They also impacted some other businesses. But we're being told that it's peaceful, or maybe it's just a few people, a few bad apples at a larger crowd, as if they were redecorating the Starbucks with their rocks, as if they were celebrating police by throwing fireworks at them. What we're seeing is violence. What we saw was a riot, and anyone who says otherwise is lying to you. I understand yeah. that there's some nuance to, to go into when you're talking about a very large crowd and there are like two or three bad actors, but the entire crowd is almost full of bad actors. It started off peaceful on Saturday as they walked to the juvenile detention center. There was about 4,000, 5,000 people. Then they set it on fire. And then all of a sudden that crowd was about 1,500. The people who stayed are the bad actors. The people who stayed are the rioters. The people who stayed were saying some horrible things. And their goal is not to protest against police brutality. This has nothing to do with George Floyd. This has everything to do with a very specific ideology. And I think that there are politicians and media members who believe that this is going to create enough momentum and chaos to get Donald Trump out of office. I think it's a mistake. I think it's going to backfire on them. But I do think some of them are willing to sit by and see some of these cities completely get destroyed. And yes, some people lose their lives. It's an evil position to take, all because they are justifying, well, if we can get Donald Trump out of office, this guy who's supposed to lead us to the end of civilization. It didn't quite actually happen over the period of the last three and a half years, but this time it'll happen if he gets reelected. They've convinced themselves this. There you go. That's pretty strong, and it's pretty, I think it's accurate. I think he's right on to it. I do believe that uh, the Democrats think that they're scoring points by letting these uh, cities burn, uh, all you got to do is listen to, for instance, the the people in uh, Portland, the uh, politicians there, to listen to Jerry Nadler, a uh, sworn-in congressman, head of the Judiciary Committee of the House, and to know that uh, they're gaslighting this, that they're saying you're not seeing what you're really seeing, that, uh, you know, just... 
completely ignore your own eyes here. Uh, things are, are fine. Things are cool. You don't have to worry about anything. Nothing's coming down. And uh, in, in Chicago, you got the mayor there saying, we don't want federal agents coming into Chicago because all they do is cause uh, more problems uh, when they're out protecting federal property. Lady, that's exactly what they're supposed to do. And that's what the Chicago police are supposed to do. The Chicago police are supposed to enforce uh, existing law and not let people, as they did in Seattle, burn down a Starbucks or attack an apartment complex. They got a guy in trouble who's a lefty, got him in trouble with the rest of uh, uh, the leftists in Seattle because he said that he was going to go out and buy a gun for personal protection. This is a guy that's been doing sports talk and, uh, you know, sprinkling it with his lefty ideas uh, for the last few years. And now uh, that it's come home, uh, he wants a gun. And that's happened. You know, this whole uh, explosion of people buying guns, it's not just conservatives that are buying them. Gosh, liberals are buying them, too, because guess what? Everybody wants to have some kind of protection when the police have got to stand down and people are rioting in the streets and you don't know where they're going to show up. And especially if you live in the inner city, you're going to want to have a gun now. I'm just being honest with you. You need an equalizer. My father told me early on when he was raising me that if somebody bigger and a bully was trying to pick on you and you knew that he was going to whip your butt, pick up something to make an equalizer for yourself. There is nothing wrong with that. You don't go into a fight unarmed, basically. I don't suggest you go into a gunfight with a knife. I don't expect that you go into a knife fight a knife fight with uh, just your bare hands i mean make sure that whatever it is that you have in the fight equalizes the fight so you have a fighting chance so to speak but that's that's what's going on in the cities right now and for the democrats to think that somehow people are believing that the reason this is happening is because of donald trump that i believe is a way big overreach on their part. You know what I see? I see people and people I talk to, and I'll agree, majority of people I talk to are conservatives, but I talk to uh, several liberals as well, and they look at it and they say, that can't continue. It's got to stop. Now, what makes you think that uh, if it's the liberals that are allowing it to happen, that they're going to stop it once they get back into power because that's what this is all about. This is not about specifically you. It's not specifically about me. This is about power. This is about money. This is about where to spend that money. And the Democrats want to have full control again so they can give us two years like they gave us in the two years that Barack Obama was first elected when they had the White House, the House, and the Senate. Remember what they did. Remember how they made the country real because 
of that. Remember all the shovel-ready jobs that the president even says today weren't shovel-ready when they got the money. Just something to keep in mind. Just telling you. They are lying to you. It's that simple. They are, I'm not going to say they're disingenuous. That's a nice way of saying they're lying. No, I'm going to say for what it is. They are lying to you. These are people that want to be back in power no matter how they got to get there. And they'll make up false narratives and they'll make up uh, untruth and they'll lie. They'll just lie to your face. And they have done that consistently over the last four years. They did it with Russiagate. All right. They did it then. They did it when they got Flynn. They lied to get uh, what they wanted to be able to take and put him in jail. Uh, And, uh, you know, the Mueller report, they lied about that. The FBI has been lying. It's lie after lie after lie. Liz Harrington is next. We got the news that we got to get to first. And let's do that here on the Dave Ellswick Show. 25 minutes till 7 on a Wednesday, hump day, middle of the weekday, over the hill day, closer to Friday than it was on Monday, and that's a good thing. And we got Liz Harrington with us from the RNC. And Liz, how are you today? Hey, I'm good. How are you, Dave? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, You had a cup of cups of coffee? Uh, working on it, working on it. <laughs> All right. Well, I've had at least, I've had three. I'm, I'm, my fourth one is sitting in front of me. Uh, I just got done talking about uh, Tucker Carlson's show Monday night and the talk show host from Seattle talking about gaslighting by the media and about politicians dealing with all of the political unrest in, in our cities. And I, I specifically want to talk to you about poll numbers because I think that's the, uh, the ultimate force of gaslighting that's going on in our our country right now. But let me just ask you, how did somebody like Congressman Nadler actually actually thinks he's getting away with when he's on camera, somebody's talking to him, recording him, and he says, there's no such thing as Antifa in Portland. That's a myth. It's all made up. And yet we see countless hours of coverage out in Portland of them trying to burn down buildings. Well, exactly. And then, so at the hearing yesterday, then he's saying, well, this violence, oh, no, it's just being uh, ginned up by, it's President Trump's fault. And he's just using it for campaign ads. Wait, so which is it? Is it a myth or (laughs) is it President Trump's fault? It makes no sense. Uh, You mentioned polls. You know, do they really think, that? do they believe the polls? Because the behavior of the Democrats yesterday was not the behavior of a political party that's winning. They couldn't even let the man speak because the minute Attorney General William Barr said anything, it totally destroyed their argument. They can't have open debate. They just want to uh, shout you down. That was not the behavior yesterday of a party that thinks they're winning uh, at all. Well, I, you know, I just, I got to tell you what, I'm not seeing this, quote, uh, panic from the president at all when he appears on uh, TV or whatever. You would think that if his internal polling was showing that he was way behind by eight, nine, ten, and in some cases, 13 points to Biden, who's living in his basement, 
uh, he would be doing a whole lot more, and his surrogates would be doing a whole lot more. I, I just, I don't get this, and I don't get the media as well. I, well, I do get the media. They're using anything they have that they can neg- negatively uh, throw on this on this president. But I still see Trump winning, and I don't think it's going to be as close as people think. I don't think it's going to be close at all. And look how crazy this party has become. I mean, they're they're literally taking the side of a mob that throws feces at cops uh-huh. and blinds them with lasers. That's the side that Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi have taken. That's the side throughout that hearing yesterday that was so disturbing. If they treat the attorney general of the United States that way, how will they treat you? Uh, We cannot give these people any more power. They're so out of control. Um, And I think any normal observer who sees that, they want you to deny what your very eyes, what you can see happening in the streets of these Democrat-run cities and they're just a preview. I mean, Joe Biden has adopted their agenda. Yep, he's he so weak. He he's adopted the no cash bail in New York City, which has led to just a horrible increase in crime. Now they're defunding the police. He says the same thing in his unity task force with Bernie Sanders. He says we have to reimagine public safety. That's the language of Marxist Angela Davis, who, by the way, just endorsed Joe Biden, because why? Because he can be most effectively pressured. That is exactly right. He is the weak candidate that is just a vessel for power for the radical left. The American people see this. We can see for our very eyes what's happening and and the absolute disaster that's become these dystopias these Democrat-run cities. And these are the same people that punish the law-abiding citizen. They punish the hard worker who's just out there trying to make the American dream, live the American dream. They punish them. They don't protect their private property. And they don't let them open up their business. They don't let them go to church. They don't let them send their kids to school this fall when Every evidence, piece of evidence, says it's perfectly safe for kids. It's more safe now than it is during normal flu, and yet they're playing politics. If they play politics with that, and that's what they're hurting. They're hurting the normal, everyday American who just wants to go out there and make a living and provide for their family, and they've completely ceded to the radical left. And this isn't a hypothetical. This isn't when you had all those Democrats on the debate stage uh, all uh, trying to outleft one another and raising their hand to give uh, welfare to illegal aliens. No, this is actually playing out. These cities have been taken over by radical Marxist ideology. Just look what's happening in Seattle. Look what they're doing in Minneapolis. Look what they're doing in all of these different cities. They're actually defunding the police. Law-abiding citizens are the ones who suffer, and we cannot allow this to happen anywhere else, and President Trump's not going to allow it to happen in these cities either. Well, Liz, this, this is reminding me so much when Nixon ran and, and we were having problems in the streets of America, and, Amer- and Americans don't want to see lawlessness. They want to yeah. see the rule of law in this country, and I believe that this plays right into the hands of uh, President Trump because he's the, uh, the guy who believes in the rule of law. 
Well, nobody wants this rioting. I mean, that's what's so unbelievable about these Democrats just openly, not like qualifying anything. No, they're just literally on the side of these rioters who for now 62 days are trying to burn down the federal courthouse. They're just saying, oh, no, no, it's peaceful. Are you insane? Have you seen the images? There's, it's a breakdown of society. Yep. There's no civilization there. It's, it's absolutely appalling. And yet they're saying, no, 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 the people that are throwing the firecrackers and feces at cops. That's not egregious, according to Joe Biden. No, the law enforcement officers who are getting blinded, some may, might be permanently, who are getting doxxed in their families' homes targeted, right. so that's egregious, according to Joe Biden. It is so upside down. And if people don't see this, they have to. And I think they are. And I think you see across the country People are waking up to this, and it is a – if they'll play politics with something as fundamental as, as going to church and, and going back to school, uh, what won't they play politics with? It's yeah. all about power. And again, I go back to that hearing yesterday. It was such an eye-opener. You think uh, – these people are so transparent about what they want to do. Uh, you think they're hiding it. They're not hiding anything. But – Americans, when they see that, they're they're going to say, "I'm out. I, I never. I didn't sign up for this uh, with the Democrats. What they're doing uh, today." You know, I think that they're really, really destroying their chance that they may have had in this election because they're they're completely ticking off people who are traditional Democrats to the you know the little bit leftist progressives, but not like. The people we're seeing in the cities burning and the people who are promoting the burnings like the Black Lives Matter, they're ticked off because they're the Democrats aren't putting any of their ideas into the platform. Big story about that this morning. Have you read the Black Lives Matter uh, Matters manifesto that they released a couple of days ago? It's incredible. You couldn't have asked Mao to, to write anything better than what they wrote. Well, that's because it's the same twisted ideology. It is. And, you know, it's never enough. It's never going to be enough for the radical left. It's the same way. I mean, Biden has practically adopted Bernie's entire agenda. They wrote a manifesto together. It's 110 pages. And yet, what are they saying? Bernie delegates, nope. They want him to say single payer, even though they've already adopted the public option, which was explicitly designed to eliminate private health care. It's the same thing. Yep. But they say, no, it's not fast enough. We've got to destroy innovation in this country tomorrow. Not We can't wait you know, uh, a year. And so th- it's never enough. And we're seeing that play out in these, in these streets. You appease this mob, you appease this ideology, you get more of it, they get emboldened, and you get destruction. And it's so clear. Look at the, look at the left, look at the Ocasio-Cortezes of the world, look at the people that are running, have all the energy on the side of the Democrat Party. Look where they are. They don't want to build anything. 
they don't want to create anything. They don't want to heal and have any good relationships with police and communities. No, they just want to destroy. If you show up at the White House, you have the audacity to say you pray for the president and wish him well, like the CEO of Goya did. They want to destroy your company, an American success story. All they want to do is destroy, and it's the complete opposite of what President Trump has done his entire life, what he did in his first term. He's a builder. He's a doer. Our ideology, we want to create things. We want to innovate. We want to do better without the government, which only gets in the way. And so it's the perfect contrast. And the American people see this playing out. They want to be on the side of, of creating and building uh, and uplifting. All these Democrats are doing it. They'll shout you down. They'll want you, they say you better get in line. There's no free thought. They're, they're censoring. We're seeing the censorship happening. Uh, this is Silicon Valley and social media, they're all one and the same. They're all doing anything they can to try to stop President Trump. Uh, from winning re-election. Well, the more they try, the more the silent majority is going to get bigger and we're going to get more emboldened and we're we're going to vote in November. I agree with you 100 percent. I'll let you go, Liz. I know you got other interviews coming up. Appreciate you giving us a few minutes here on the Dave Ellswick Show in Little Rock. Always good to be with you. All right. Bye-bye now. Liz Harrington here. On the Dave Ellswick Show from the RNC, when I come back, I'm going to prove to you that uh, our high schools and our grade schools are indoctrinating our kids against our history. That's coming up in a moment. All right, so I told you I would uh, point out to you that what is being taught in our schools is having a direct effect on how people view our country. And uh, they just did a breakdown of uh, thousands of uh, people asking them about the history of our country. If you were over 45 and you were asked the founders of this nation, were they heroes or villains? 71% said heroes, 10% said villains, and the other people didn't have an opinion. If you were under 30... Under 30, 31% thought that the founders were villains, and uh, 39% thought they were heroes. So what you have is you have a group of people, young people, that really have no idea about their history. And if you wonder why there's such a ferocious effort to tear down statues and erase America's past, that explains the phenomena. Exactly, because they have been marinated in a stew of hostile version of America's past. They've been taught from the teachings of the late uh, radical historian Howard Zinn and some of the new 
others of the new left from Black Lives Matter and whatever. They don't have a firm grasp of what happened in uh, the past of this country. Uh, They don't realize why 1776 was such a fantastic uh, moment uh, in in America and in the world with the Declaration of Independence. Something, as far as I'm concerned, a piece of uh, writing that carries more weight than even the Magna Carta did, because at least it changed things. Magna Carta, really, uh, a lot of the things that were there did not get changed Uh, by the king, because the king was still the king. It changed a little bit here in the United States uh, and started us on a new road because it was replacing one government with a new government that was totally different in its vision and in what it was trying to do. So what we now have is a militant wing of young people that are hell-bent on putting an end to America and the, and the West. You talk to them, they don't know why. They don't understand what happened. All they can say is slavery, they can say that, and inequality. Those two words are their modus operandi. They understand those two words, or they think they do. They probably don't. And why do they feel that way? Did you raise your children that way? Did you raise your children uh, to think that the founding fathers uh, were villains? My gosh, I can tell you, I, I sure didn't. I mean, I talked almost, I almost talked in reverence about when, when I talk about Washington and and Adams and Franklin and Jefferson and all the different founding fathers uh, that were there for the signing of the Declaration. I mean, Washington would have been there, but he was in charge of the Continental Army and he was with them, couldn't make it for the signing. So he wasn't there. And I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm a great lover of of John Adams. He did some bad things when he was president, or but I... You know, I have utmost respect for his brother as well, Samuel Adams, and not because people say, well, yeah, the beer. And I No, not the beer. You know, we're talking about a patriot, a patriot in the forming of our nation. You know, then on the other hand, and this is sad, that even the people who are young and don't think that the founding fathers weren't villains, they still don't stand up for them because uh, it's hard for them to articulate what it is that they're trying to conserve in America. I mean, when I say I'm a conservative, I'm trying to conserve the Constitution. I'm trying to conserve the Declaration of Independence. I'm trying to conserve freedom of speech. I'm trying to conserve the ability and right to own and bear arms and all those other great ideas and great uh, things that happened uh, in the founding of our nation. And it's now a battle between zealots. And normally that's never good. That you have the people that are on one side and they're completely, you know, zealots sold out to their cause and you have the zealots on the other side. You know, our biggest problem right now is the people that are in the middle because they are 
uninformed or undercommitted. Now, if that is the, the big group that you have, then place your money either on the zealots that are saying tear down America or the zealots that are saying we must hold on to that which we hold to most true. And uh, I'm one of those guys that's going to be on the air all the time trying to hold on to what I think is true and just and right. The people that are on the other side that are trying to tear all of that down, they don't believe there's any truth. They don't believe that uh, there's any justice except for the justice that they have, and their justice doesn't extend to everybody. I believe in justice for everybody. I believe in what the Constitution was meant to do. I believe what the what the uh, uh, Declaration was to do, to help us form a better, perfect union. It didn't happen all at once. It There's always going to be things we can do better. But if we use the framework that we have been given, we can do it. But you can't sit on the sidelines with your mouth shut and let the school systems uh, propagandize your children. That's not going to work. I hear more and more from parents saying, I I send my daughter or my son to high school. They come back with ideas that I've never said. They go to college, they come back communists. Well, where do you think they're getting the ideas from? It's coming from the front of the classroom. I'm Dave Ellswick. We've got Congressman Hill next. second hour powered by uh, liz harrington our final guest in the first hour of the show today and then uh some information that i had about uh what people are thinking about our country it's uh, uh one of those things that has me concerned about i congressman i, I let me just ask you when they talk to people over 45 years of age and ask them the Founding Fathers, heroes or villains, 71% call them heroes, and only 10% call them villains. When you ask that same question to someone under 30, uh, 35% call them uh, uh, vi- uh, villains, and only 31% call them heroes. Now, that would tell me somewhere along the line, uh, the history of our country is not being translated, and perhaps... Uh, we should start looking at the curriculum of our high schools and colleges. What do you think? 
Dave, good morning. I couldn't agree more. You know, the last 30 years, uh, our uh, history on university campuses has just evolved into a uh, specialty victim class uh, studying. So we want to look at every micro aspect of sociology in in America and find the victims and talk about American history in that context. And people get history credit for it if they're a history major or taking a, a class to get three hours in history. But they don't get the big picture. They don't get the uh, extraordinary uh, accomplishment of creating America from whole cloth uh, and the results of that in the world, which is the world is a far better place due to the republic called the United States of America. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yesterday, the uh, Republicans came out with their new uh, plan for more money uh, being sent out to businesses and to be sent out to individuals. Uh, Schumer and Pelosi immediately shot holes in it, set it on fire and said, no, let's go with I think ours is called the Heroes Act. Theirs is called the Care Act. And uh, I I would assume that that was exactly what you thought that the Democrats would do was exactly uh, say there's nothing good in this whatsoever. I loved Marco Rubio's comment yesterday, the senator from Florida, when he said we could have introduced their bill and they would have trashed it and said it was no good. <laughs> that's true. That's I mean, that's true. We're in we're in the political season, the silly season, and it's just all posturing. It's all uh, messaging. And uh, what Mitch McConnell attempted to do was wait and assess how the economy was doing, how the money that we appropriated back in March and April uh, was in the out in the uh, our society, over $3 trillion appropriated. So he was trying to narrow the focus to those things he thought were most important. President Trump wanted payments to families again, so Mitch McConnell put that in, the $1,200 per, per tax rebate. Mm-hmm. Uh, Generally, because the virus has been so up and down in different regions of the country and some places have had to close their restaurant back down, there was consensus to extend the Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP program for small business. And and that was done, again, with Marco Rubio's uh, uh, leadership. And then people wanted to make sure there was funding uh, necessary for Schools, uh, I'm, you know, that's not numbers that have been sent to me in detail because we sent so many uh, hundreds of millions of dollars out to school systems across the country as to what that gap is. But that's what the Senate's tried to do. And then the final point, Dave, is to remove any disincentives for going back to work. Yeah. So they've tried to adjust this unemployment compensation a program that sits on top of the state unemployment compensation. Yeah, bottom line, there uh, that six hundred extra dollars they're getting uh, per week uh, not to work probably was not the best idea. I've, I've always heard, you know, uh, pay for the things you want, tax for the, the things that you don't want, and uh, you know we gave them money, so they definitely want to keep that. And now uh, that you start talking about perhaps changing that amount uh people start saying you want to take it away from us now it that's just to be expected 
Yeah, and that's just not the case. People who have unemployment compensation are on it. Uh, the state has it. The federal government's picking up the administrative tab. When Harry Reid, your favorite um, oh, yeah. leader in the Senate, and Speaker Pelosi and Barack Obama were in charge after the 2009 crisis where we had the largest unemployment spike, worst recession since uh, the Great Depression, President Obama and Harry Reid and Speaker Pelosi's suggestion was, well, we'll give you $25 extra per week. That's what their big recession bonus was, $25 a week. This amount designed by Chuck Schumer, agreed to by Steve Mnuchin, of $600 just dislocates the labor market. It just blows it up. I mean, it might be fine in midtown Manhattan, but in rural Arkansas, where people are earning $20 a uh, an hour working in a sawmill and they have a $100,000 cost of a house and have a much lower standard of living, uh, it it causes people to not go back to work. And so that's why the Senate's tried to find this middle ground and replace uh, ultimately only up to about 70% of average wages. Uh, it's still tough because we have these antiquated, broken, unimpressive state unemployment systems that are using 1970s technology. So you're you're firmly in the in the side that you think the Paycheck Protection Program uh, should continue with some caveats. Is that correct? I do. I think it should continue through the end of the year. Look, the the health public health professionals, uh, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Redfield, and all the leaders that briefed us in March felt like the virus would come into the United States, sweep across the United States, and then begin to ebb. Naturally, we all have our responsibilities, so I'm not saying there's not personal responsibility to follow the CDC standards. But the virus is certainly longer, more sustained, more uh, pernicious across the country. And so the idea that we were going to just have 8 to 12 weeks of business shutdown is clearly not the case. And so that's why I think extending that program is helpful to our small businesses. Okay, so you have this. Uh, this is not going to happen probably until August. That's what I'm hearing is you're right there. What are you hearing as far as phase four goes? Well, when you compare uh, what uh, Speaker Pelosi demanded uh, two months ago with her Green New Deal and her redo Americans elections and all this stuff in her bill, it has nothing to do with the coronavirus. And you strip all that stuff out, all that ridiculous left-wing AOC list, uh, there are categories of agreement, you know, between these two bills. And so I would hope that Democratic leaders and Republican leaders could find consensus in the next two weeks and get this uh, bill completed. And the reason for that is uh, to give some surety to small business after August 8th, when the PPP program expires give some planning certainty to those families who need to go back to work and uh, have access to uh, unemployment compensation. And then finally, make sure all of our school districts are ready to teach our kids. So um, that's my my view of it, is that it can be done faster. And it should be done faster. This is not a new sub- subject. Let's, get, let's do the hard work. Let's roll our shirt sleeves up and let's get this done. Yeah, and... Just before we go to break, uh, talk about this for a minute. When you have these committees that form, 
uh, when you got a Democrat, you got the Democrats and the Republicans and they uh, they sit down and decide what they want to do. I mean, is is it like a food fight or is it? OK, guys, look, we understand what's got to get done. Uh, let's get this finished. Is it that kind of a meeting? It is. It's composed of the senior Republican and the senior Democrat on each of the committees, plus the leadership in the House and the Senate. This is this is being done in the Senate first. What Mitch McConnell has to do is get 60 votes to pass his bill. So that's the first step. And that's what they're working on this week and early next week. Uh, and they're saying, here's where we agree. Here's where we disagree. And they just begin to hash out those disagreements. All right. When we come back, let's uh, talk about Speaker Pelosi. It's the second week of appropriations. And uh, let's find out what the speaker is saying. Uh, You issued a statement uh, last week uh, against her partisan funding packages. Uh, You're feeling the same, still feeling as strongly as you did. Let's talk about that when we continue. Our guest is Congressman French Hill here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM. The answer, and I need to tell you about PI Roofing. Uh, They came out uh, yesterday uh, for me, and they uh, put down some material that uh, covered up some holes uh, that occurred when they put my satellite dish uh, on my uh, top of my house. Now, look, uh, DirecTV didn't leave holes up there, and it started leaking uh, over the time with the wind uh, blowing and things of that nature and moving it. It caused it to loosen some, and uh, it caused uh, some rotting of of the wood. So PI roofing is going to replace that. Direct TV was out yesterday. They put a new bracket in in a new place. So I don't have to worry about the leaks there anymore after Friday and really don't have to worry now because it's been covered up with this uh, faux kind of uh, shingles that will shed water and not let water into my house. That's the kind of of uh, work you'll get uh, from the folks at PI roofing. They worked with DirecTV. They talked it over. They got it all worked out, and now the, it'll be finished before the uh, the weekend. And we got a little bit of rain going to be in the area, and that's uh, being fixed so that it doesn't get in my house. So I'm a happy camper. I think you'll be a happy camper, too, with PI Roofing, 707-3551 on the phone and piroofing.com. All right, so let's get back with Congressman French Hill uh, here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And uh, the representative uh, released a statement after rejecting House Democrats' latest spending bill, uh, H.R. 7608. Just a few things that are in that bill that the uh, congressman was against, uh, providing over $37 billion as emergency spending $15 billion is for the Democrats' partisan infrastructure bill. We talked about that last week. $10 billion is for uh, uh, COVID-19 relief, even though the Democrats passed a $3 trillion supplement. 
It prohibits the uh, president's administration reforms to reduce regulatory burdens. It limits America's domestic energy production. It permanently prevents that and any future administration from making changes to the welfare programs, not funding the border wall, and on and on and on. I mean, the only reason that Pelosi would bring such a ridiculous piece of legislation up is that she knows she's got the majority and uh, the majority in the House runs from the uh, crazy leftists that can you know, hold about 60 votes over there. Yeah, I mean, she's Nancy Pelosi is no longer Speaker of the House. I mean, effectively, the squad is the Speaker of the House. They set the tone of the debate. They set the agenda. They set the legislative agenda. And Steny Hoyer and Nancy Pelosi are just their vessels to get that done so they can go out on TV every night and, and talk about how the country is moving left. So here's the big picture on all these appropriations bills that the House Democrats have put forward. Last year, when uh, the president got his defense spending and his border security uh, spending agreed to and passed into law by the Congress, they set a two-year deal on the budget for 2020, uh, you know, expiring this September, and September 2021, they did a joint bipartisan agreement. Well, uh, Nancy Pelosi just took that agreement and tore it up, threw it in the trash can because like, like she the did bill the president's state of the, the floor, union. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean she duplicated her state of the union move with the budget this year, and so this set of bills cost 225 billion more than that agreement plus. She added back in all these poison pill, uh, non-financial legal measures, such as stopping American energy drilling, stopping uh, construction of money we've already approved on border security measures, and the list just goes on and on. But that big picture issue is they broke their word. They agreed to a 2020 and a 2021 discretionary spending number, and they broke it to the tune of it goes up $225 billion for next year. And that's why House Republicans are unified in voting no on these these bills. They're not going to be signed into law. Uh, this will go, this spending debate will go on through the election, I'm sure. Congressman, I get this question a lot, and I'll, I'll let you field it this time. And that is a lot of people that are out that listens to my show and and they're conservatives. They want to know why it seems like you know, they say this, uh, that the Republican Party does not actively fight back enough. Well, in the House, uh, the majority rules, and when we propose amendments to change bills, those amendments are ruled out of order in the Rules Committee, which is controlled by the Democrats. So when you come to the House floor, they control the time. The time is split 50-50 between the Republicans and the Democrats. If they don't don't allow uh, any Republican amendments to change the bill, uh, it's very difficult to find anything to, uh, you know, fight over other than just to vote no. And so uh, when Nancy Pelosi is proposing these bills, you'll see, I think, probably a universal Republican no vote against the uh, House spending proposals by Speaker Pelosi. 
which then means that we go and have to work with uh, the Senate uh, in order to develop a budget each year. And, of course, Mitch McConnell has to get 60 votes to pass something out of the Senate. So he, too, has to have Democratic support over in the Senate. So last question for you, and I'll let you go. Is it are we in a, a, a position right now as the Republican Party that we can't do much in the House? Uh, and uh, it, it seems like the Senate, the deliberative body, uh, don't want to rock the boat too much. And the president is just wanting to get things done. I mean, uh, do you see anything happening now between now and election? I don't. I don't. Uh, it's an election year. I think people are focused on, and the American people are focused on, the pandemic. They want to get their public health back, and they want this to get this economy open. And about 65 or 70 percent of the parents want their kids back in school. It depends on what city you live in. But uh, the people want to get back to normal. So I think spending, and this is why we're debating this, this final coronavirus-related uh, bill, it's because the American people want to fight this virus, beat the virus, and get their economy back. But you need to know, Americans uh, in the Republicans in the House and Senate fight for American defense, fight for the First Amendment, fight for the Second Amendment, fight for the whole Bill of Rights, and we fight regularly against uh, the left-wing agenda of a Green New Deal, uh, free everything for everybody. Uh, and uh, this idea that uh, law and order is not needed in this country. We ought to defund all of our police departments. So you've got Republicans from all stripes, from all states in the Union, fighting against that left-wing agenda every day in Washington. Does it get covered in the press? Sure, I guess. some, Not much, but not enough for others. So know that conservatives are up there fighting for our country, and this is a very, very important year when it comes to that topic. All right. We'll have you on again next week, and uh, we are under 100 days to November, and I'm sure that things are going to heat up even more so before we get there to November and uh, the election of the president again. Thank you, Congressman. Appreciate it, Dave. All the best. Talk to you later now. All right. So, Congressman French Hill with us from Washington, D.C. Coming up, Congressman Bruce Westerman joins us from Washington, D.C. as well. But Rush is going to uh, chime in now. He's got 60 seconds to tell you what's on his mind. All right, that was good news. It's heavy, but it's moving. I like to hear that about the traffic. It's heavy now. That means a lot more people going back to work. $287,619. What would you do with that kind of money in retirement? Well, that's how much a Little Rock couple could save in taxes with their IRA and 401K, thanks to the tax planning strategies from David Lucas Financial right here in Little Rock. Learn exactly how much money you could save with a free retirement tax analysis. If you've saved more than $250,000, be one of the first 10 callers to schedule your free analysis now at 501-222-3315. Do you have an IRA or a 401k? Then you need to have some uh, tax strategies so you can learn how much money in taxes you could save by calling 501-222-3315. Again, 501-222-3315. Investment advisory services are offered through David Lucas Financial and Arkansas Registered Investment Advisor. 
All right, going uh, back to Washington, D.C., we are. I'll speak a little Yoda for you. Uh, in Washington, D.C. is Congressman Bruce Westerman. Good to have him on with us. He joins us every every uh, other week or so from Washington, D.C. to talk about what's happening up on the Hill. And uh, as everybody knows, the, the Republicans are in the minority, which means that Pelosi and uh, AOC can push through a lot of crazy stuff uh, even if all the Republicans vote against it, uh, that's what happened with that uh, CARES Act that they came up with. I'm sure you weren't happy about it, but the Democrats had to vote uh, to push it through. How does that how does that work on you over time, Congressman? Doesn't it get really irritating? <laughs> hey, David, it's great to be with you. I know, I know you had uh, French on earlier, so. Uh, uh, you know, we're up here fighting the battle in the minority, but it's it's tough. I'll tell you what it does to me every time I've been up here. Now, I think this is like the – I may have been up here eight to ten weeks in a row uh, because, you know, the Democrats changed it where you don't even have to come to D.C. to do your job as a member of Congress. You can zoom in and you can revoke or vote remotely and all that. All it did was uh, consolidate the power with, with Pelosi. But I've been coming up here a lot. And it just infuriates me. It makes me want to work harder every time uh, to get Pelosi out of the speaker's chair to to get uh, AOC and her her uh, colleagues there in the uh, extreme far left in into the minority. Uh, and I can tell you, I, I told somebody yesterday that being in the minority is like uh, being a mushroom. You, you know how you grow mushrooms. Yeah, you, you, I know what you're keep buried them in the in. dark and feed them manure. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's not a good thing. So, nope. Um, but it's it's amazing to me the stuff that they uh, that they bring up, and it's all I'd say ninety percent of what they're doing, maybe ninety five percent messaging. Uh, the appropriation bills they do are just uh, you know they're ne- they're never going anywhere in the Senate. A lot of the bills that typically get moved through Congress on a bipartisan uh, basis, like the surface transportation bill, uh, it's it was so bad. I'm on the TNI committee, and uh, it got zero Republican support out of the committee, which may be the the first time ever uh, that's happened. It was a half trillion dollar bill in the committee. Went to the Rules Committee, which is Pelosi's committee that controls what goes on the floor. Right. Uh, overnight, out of the Rules Committee, they added a trillion dollars to it in the Green New Deal. Good And then God. Democrats, they passed it off the floor knowing it's going nowhere. There's no conceivable path where the Senate's going to take that up. They just did it to, uh, uh, to create messaging. Now, today, we're going to pass the, the Water Resources Development Act, which I'm the, the ranking member on the Environment and Water Subcommittee on TNI, which was where that bill originated. And it passed out of committee with unanimous support and will pass off the House floor on a voice vote because uh, we worked together and, and for some reason Pelosi decided not to uh, to make that bill partisan. So you, you can't ever tell what you're going to to get from them, the the schedule is horrendous. Uh, you know, we're trying to plan travel back and forth to D.C., trying to plan uh, meetings and events back home, and we may find out uh, uh, late Friday afternoon that we've got to be back in D.C. at at 9 a.m. on Monday. 
uh, which that's not that big a deal, but it's just it's just one thing on top of the other. And since they're working from home, they don't they don't care about travel schedules. Right. And they'll do. Uh, she'll intentionally do votes late in the evening so that you've got to stay another day to to get a flight out the next day. Uh, it's just those little things like that that really put the the grit in my gut and want me to to work extra hard to get us back in the majority. <laughs> How are you Not feeling? The fact that they're, they're trying to, uh, you know, they want to defund the police. They want to deface everything. They want to dismantle America and destroy it. And that's, uh, uh, that's really what motivates me to want to get in the majority. You know, we're in a point where we need some hope in our country. We need to uh, re- renew that hope and restore uh, our American way of life and, and rebuild the economy. And I, I hope the president will start talking about those things more. But, I mean, they're attacking him every way he turns. And his yeah, you know, his natural inclination is to, to fight back. But I think if he'll start pushing that positive message, uh, we're all going to be better in the fall. Well, we talked about this early on in the show. Were you embarrassed by the House committee's uh, actions yesterday when uh, Attorney General Barr was before them? No, I was in another committee being embarrassed by the House's actions. <laughs> we had a, uh, I didn't, I didn't see that. I've, I've read a little bit about it and okay. heard about it. But on the Natural Resources Committee, we had the second hearing on the uh, uh, the park police and when Trump went over to the uh, church for the photo op. Uh, you know, they're trying, the media and the Democrats are portraying this as if these were peaceful protests. But we have the, the chief of the uh, U.S. Park Police testifying again yesterday, and he said they had 51 police officers taken to the hospital over a, a two- or three-day span there. Um, they they followed all the protocol with these things called the long-range audio device and LRAD that you know, told the people to clear out uh, three different times, and they didn't clear out, so they, the officers moved in. And, of course, they're going to have uh, edited video footage to show what they want to show from the uh, from what happened. Uh, but, but think about that. 51 park police officers taken to the hospital, and they're trying to say that was a, a peaceful protest. They burned a church building. They were defacing monuments and public property, yet uh, the media is trying to tell you those are peaceful protests. They're trying to tell you what's happening in Portland and Chicago and Seattle is is okay, that that's, that's peaceful protesting. Um, it's, it's not. It's not what the founders guaranteed in the First Amendment. Right. Yeah, it's it's... Do you think anything's going to get done now? I mean, we're in the most political time of any year, and that is uh, during the presidential election, in this case a re-election. Do you, do you see anything happening? Uh, I mean, I think the, the basic stuff to keep, uh, keep everything afloat is going to happen, but um, it's, it's so partisan right now. And, uh, um, I mean, the, the people that don't like Trump, they hate Trump, and uh, I've never seen such such vitriol out there. So, uh, I, you know, think about the first half of 2020, what we saw, uh, and here we are inside 100 days to the election, and, and who knows what's going to uh, be out there between now and November. And, yeah. and by the way, we've got a pandemic to deal with, and we've got an economy that's been devastated by the, 
by the pandemic. Yeah, well, let's come back and uh, we'll take a quick break and come back and let's talk about, uh, you know, this phase four that's now being talked about and what you think about it and what you think should be done. Our guest is Congressman Bruce Westerman from the 4th District here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, back with Congressman Bruce Westerman. We've got time uh, for one more question, and that is about the PPP. Uh, I talked to Congressman Hill. He firmly supports keeping that going at least to the end of the year. What's your thoughts? Yeah, and, and French is he's the expert, not just in the Arkansas delegation, but in Congress on the Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, I think the hang-up on that day is going to be all the other stuff that uh, – uh, Pelosi tries to put in there. She wants to extend the $600 per week unemployment insurance. Uh, you know, at one point, she said through June of next year, which is going to be a non-starter for a lot of people. Uh, she doesn't want to put any kind of liability protection in. She wants to leave uh, the businesses and individuals uh, exposed to uh, lawsuits uh, because you know they might have tried to, God forbid, keep their business going during the pandemic. So it's a a lot of uh, negotiating that's going to have to take place in there, but that Paycheck Protection Program is one area of the CARES Act that uh, seemed to help businesses stay open and keep people getting their paycheck uh, from their their place of employment instead of directly from the government. All right. You are uh, being called for another meeting, so I'll, I'll let you go, but uh, we look forward to talking to you as soon as possible. Congressman, uh, Congressman Bruce Westerman here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Have a good day. Always good to be with you, Dave. Take care. All right. Take care. All right. Letting uh, the congressman get away. He's got things that he's got to take care of. There is work that is going on, though it's a little bit difficult when you got the Democrats in in uh, in power. And I liked what the congressman said about you feel like a mushroom. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty that's pretty indicative of, of how it is. They they keep you in the dark and they bury you in manure uh, is, is what he was uh, saying that it uh, is like uh, up there on the top. OK, bottom line. Here it is at uh, 10 minutes till 8 o'clock. You're on your way to work. You want to get there on time so you can do your thing. Uh, You know, something that I I hear from time to time, and the left uses this uh, as one of their, uh, you know, march chants and things of that nature. No peace, no justice. Uh, That's kind of stuff drives me crazy because – the left now is saying that uh, they're going to have to draw blood uh, to be able to get the type of attention that they want. And I'm thinking perhaps uh, that is not where they want to go. Uh, bloodshed, widespread, it's all too frequently. Young children and even babies are being shot and killed. Yet the mainstream media is refusing to accurately report on the mayhem and carnage. And the, uh, the most radical Democrats are frequently downplaying and even denying their gaslighting that there is violence at all. I mean, uh, Nadler is a perfect example of that. What an idiot. The guy is an idiot. And uh, it would be nice if we could vote him out, but he's in a, a blue-on-blue district. 
And, of course, the first step in problem solving is what? Understanding and acknowledging that there is a problem. You got to know that there's a problem. And if anybody that's looking at our country now doesn't believe that there's a problem, where have you been at? I mean, we uh, I will say that just because things are uh, an election year, I would hope that politicians would honestly want to deal with some things so that they're able to. keep this country together. I mean, we can go all the way back to Thomas Jefferson. And he said, you know, there's Federalists and there's Republicans. Uh, But, uh, hey, when it all is spelled out in the end, we're all Americans. Yeah, Jefferson said that. Uh, Even though he probably didn't, he didn't, as a Federalist, you know, he didn't trust the Federalists as far as he could could uh, throw him, but the bottom line is he said that we're all Americans, and I don't know if we can uh, we can get to that point that we can we can uh, pull on that again. As I was talking about earlier uh, with uh, Congressman Hill, um, some polling numbers, some studying, some socio- sociological studying found that those over forty-five said that the founding fathers at least three-quarters of them, said that the founding fathers were heroes. If you're under 30, less than a third of you say that they were heroes. And that's a huge difference because that's where we find our identity is in our history. And I've been talking about history a lot lately because history defines us. History tells us where we've come from. History helps us figure out where we want to go to. And if you can control and change history, you can change the direction of a country. And that's what's trying to be done by the Antifas and the real radical left. of the world. That's why they're pulling down statues. That's why it doesn't matter what the the person stood for that was a statue. They want zero history. They want history to begin now. They want history to be written from now, not from when history began. They don't even want to deal with uh, when history began because that makes them think. That makes them have to take time to to, to figure some things out, and uh, they're not wanting, wanting to, to do that. That's the bottom line of it. It's crazy uh, of, of what's happening. So just keep that in mind. That the, have you noticed, since it's not getting as much press, the attack on uh, statues has stopped, as well as the president signing an executive order that they can arrest you and give you 10 years in prison for, uh, you know, defacing and tearing down uh, a a statue uh, here on federal property. Can't do anything about it being on private property. It's on private property. uh, You got to get them to court and and go from there. But anyway, uh, the bottom line is, is they're really wanting there not to be a history. 
and the history that's being taught. And uh, I'm going to say that Congressman French Hill agreed with me uh, that what's being taught in our school system is what's leading to this high uh, rate of people who can who uh, do not think of the founders as heroes. Now, I will say that they don't break 40 percent on thinking that they're villains. So what they're doing is that they're out there floating around, not knowing exactly what to think, because they, they haven't been presented with the facts to make a decision. And that's dangerous, because when a vacuum like that starts to, to form, then the, the more zealots on either the left or right try to fill that vacuum. Now, I'm a zealot about what comes to, to America and how great it is. Uh, I, I don't think you can argue that America hasn't been the, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, country ever on the face of the earth and in promoting uh, a republic form of democracy. And, and, and I don't want pure dom- democracy. Anyone who makes uh, and says, well, I want to be in a pure democracy. No, 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 no. You don't want the mob to rule. Even Jefferson understood that that having a democratic republic was the way to go. If you want to see what democracy unfettered is, take a look at the French Revolution. Do a little reading and see how many people lost their lives for no reason. You know, we go between uh, election to election and things are are pretty much uh, even keel. But in other places, it's not that way. Uh People get in there and they want to, uh, you know, kill the, the opposition. So you got you got to understand what we have and what we want to conserve. That's what a conservative is all about. We want to conserve that which is good and, and we'll progress on that which isn't. That's why slavery in this country took some time, took some time. But we changed minds, we changed hearts, and we moved on as a country. Now, to change the heart of a person, uh, you know, to change, uh, you know, people's uh, minds individually, that's a much more difficult proposition, just so you'll know. That is a much more difficult uh, proposition uh, to do. All right. Bottom line, keep in mind uh, that uh, we are keeping things uh, out front for you. I'm going to keep on speaking the truth as I as I uh, can present it to you. Uh, there is one truth. There is not multiple truths. I think we all agree the truth is that slavery is not right. It's uh, immoral, and it doesn't uh, doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help this, the person who is a slave, and really uh, it will destroy the moral compass of the person who uses slaves. Uh, I think that's been proven in history as well. So we we moved on and we're moving forward in this country towards a more perfect union. All right, done with my time here for this hour. Let's take a break. We'll get the news for you. And then I will be back again uh, at 6 o'clock here on 101.1 FM. Uh, if you're on Facebook, you can watch me record the uh, next hour in real time and if you happen to be on the podcast you just listen and watch 
from uh, whenever you're doing it. All right? It's the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. Dave Ellswick Show. Good to have you with us. And uh, Joe is here. Uh, Doug is here. We'll uh, continue with them now talking about cars and trucks and whatnot and uh, get to answers to your questions. Let me yell out real quick to Heidi. Heidi, would you resend that email to me? Sure. Uh, my uh, uh, Facebook, not Facebook, but my uh, email just deleted about eight emails, and I don't know why, and yours was one of them. So if you resend that to me, I'd appreciate it. All right, so uh, we get that taken care of. That was uh, the questions from uh, our site about uh, cars. So I want to get that back. So I'm waiting for that to return. So what have you guys been up to? What's been the the big deal going on as far as Joe's Garage and uh, Duck's Garage? Joe? Heating and cooling and air conditioning. (laughs) That season. Exactly. Yeah, what a big surprise, huh? <laughs> you got to be going to well, be talking 90, about 90 degree, Yeah, 90-degree weather will bring out any subpar cooling system, and 90-degree weather will bring out a AC system that's not properly charged or compressor getting weak, and it will bring it to the forefront and let you know that they're, they're not working properly. Ain't that right, Doug? Every day. You you never know until it gets them 90-degree days what's going to run hot and what's not going to run hot. You've got that right. When the car is called upon to do something when it's that hot, whatever is going to fail, it's going to fail. It you know, Dave, and, and the thing about that is when it gets these 100-degree days, you know, it may be 90 outside. But with the humidity and everything, that throws it up to a 100-degree day. You know, it, it's hard to suck cold air out of your air conditioner if it is not properly charged up in it, everything working to the capacity. You know, yep. when it's a 75 to 80-degree day, you can get by with one a little lower Freon. Uh-huh. But when it gets over 90, you can't get by. It's, it's just miserable hot. So I had it. Go ahead, I had Joe. a customer in yesterday, and he said, uh, check my AC. And, you know, his alignment, rotate his tires, doing regular maintenance on it, and pulled a Freon out of it. It was a little Chrysler van with two units, front and rear unit, and uh, holds like 2.5 pounds. We pulled out one and a half pounds, so it was a pound low. Weighed it, recharged it, put some dye in the system, told him it's got a leak, slow leak somewhere. We'll see where it's at when the dye shows up. Looked at me and said, well, that, I, that AC wasn't blowing that warm to be that low. I said, 
Well, all I can tell you is we weigh it out, we weigh it back in. It was yep. low, and it was a pound low. Now, a pound low will make it blow ice cold in 90-degree weather instead of just mediocre cold. So, yeah. you know, it, yep. it's, it's all relative in how you look at it. Yeah, my my uh, air conditioner, you can't hold your fingers in front of it for a long time when I got it on cir- on circulate and have it down like at 69 degrees. It gets cold. Absolutely. It, that means it's fully charged and it's working. It's, uh, it's putting out 100 percent. If it's moderately it's, low, a pound low, it's only going to put out like 75, 80 percent efficiency. Right, Doug? Yeah, and sometimes, Joe, you don't get that if the compressor's a little weak and everything to go along with it. You know, you, you, you know, it's just uh, you can take a car today and the Freon's three or four ounces low, it's not going to charge good. Yeah. Exactly, uh, Joe, it's not going. It's not going to perform like it's built to do, and and you'll see that when uh, on the hotter the day, the worse you'll see that. All right. Yes. I got a question for you guys. You ready? Sam, Sam's got a 2014 Chevy Cruze diesel. I didn't even know they made a diesel in Cruises. Uh, A four-cylinder, 2.0 liter. Now, this is a very short question, and it's going to be wide open to your guys' interpretation, but here it is anyway. Does anyone have advice for this situation, please? I've got a Chevy Cruze diesel. Yesterday, I opened the hood, and I found engine oil so something is apparently leaking i did not see the obvious reasons what are some other options <laughs> turbo you think it's a turbo they had turbo trouble out of them things and it leaked oil okay so yeah, that's, that's 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 slinging the oil around in the engine compartment huh well it's got an oil feed line that feeds up to the turbo and they had trouble with them. They had a quick to neck fitting on it, and they had trouble with a quick to neck fitting leaking on them. When you replace it, it comes with a whole totally line kit, and they done away with a quick to neck fitting. Ah, okay. All right, something to keep in mind. If you happen to have a, a Chevy Cruze in that year model, 2014, uh, and uh, 13, 14, and 15. Okay, so over a three-year span, it took them that long to finally admit defeat and go to the way to fix it, huh? Yep. Amazing. All right, Miles has a 1999 Buick Century Custom <laughs> six-cylinder, 3.1 liter. He says, three days ago, my ABS light came on. When I got home, I turned the car off and back on. The light stayed off. Today, driving... Uh, to the store, I found myself in a scary situation where the brake pedal ended up going mushy on me and went all the way down to the floor. My brakes were there just barely, so I drove slowly, checked the fluid levels at the store. It was, it was clear I was leaking brake fluid somewhere. I bought some more, filled it up, and got home. The ABS light comes on now when I do drive it. There are no puddles or signs of leakage by the wheels. There is a small stain under the master cylinder. And where I parked there is wetness under that general area area where I parked. My gut is saying it's the master cylinder. That is an easy fix that I can do myself. But if I'm wrong, then I'm wasting money and I don't have the money to fix the lines for a couple of weeks. A second option here would help tremendously. 
thinks. Well, I'm going to say that, you know, he may not want to fix that leak, but he's going to have to fix that leak. Uh, if it's wet behind the master cylinder where it goes up to the booster, the master cylinder is definitely leaking. And a lot of times that fluid not only leaks external, but it can leak inside the booster too and damage the booster. So he needs to get the master cylinder repaired uh, and replaced to stop that leak as soon as possible. Right, Duck? Yeah, because, you know, if he has to mess around and buy a booster, that's another three or $400 to replace the booster on it. So, yeah, he needs to put a mass cylinder on it, and that's probably where it's leaking at. What are you but looking as at? Joe, as you know, Go ahead. As Joe, as you know, when you, you just can't just stick a mass cylinder on and expect it to work, you got to bench bleed it, then put it on the car, then bleed it again, and then go to each wheel and bleed each wheel. Yeah, and a lot of wow. times you have to run the analog unit to... to run the pump in there to get the air out of it. So it's it's a bleeding process that I'm not sure he could do that himself, Duck. I'll be honest with you. I don't think he can neither. I mean, you know, he may can put the mass cylinder on it, but I don't think time he gets bled, you know, he's going to spend a whole lot of time trying to bleed it and still going to wind up taking it somewhere and get somebody to put it on, you know, to bleed it for him. Yeah. Yeah, I'm because agreeing. this is where experience pays off, Correct. Well, it ain't like it used to be. Dave used to. You just stuck a mass cylinder on it and bled it, and you went on. But now, you know, you got to bleed the ABS system. You got to go to each wheel and bleed each wheel. It's a little more complicated than what it used to be. <laughs> so it takes still uh, take that, two, that two people to do it. Yes, or, or a bleeding machine. <laughs> yeah, you have to have pressure bleeder on there. But uh, you still have, yeah, you know, in today's world, there's an analog unit on there that's got an electric motor on it. It's got an accumulator in it. That accumulator holds hydraulic pressure that comes from the brake fluid. So when you bleed that, you got to run that pump to get the air out of that analog unit. So, and generally you turn that on with a scanner. So <clears throat> if he's so got that of tools and equipment... You know, you could he could possibly do that, but without that equipment, he's not going to be able to get all the air out of it. He'll have a mushy pedal when he gets through. Sounds pretty complex to me. Not the old days where you had somebody stand there and say, pump the brake pedal until you saw some fluid yeah. and knew that you'd gotten the fluid to the brake. Bleeding brakes is a different thing today, that's for sure, because, that, you know, of the analog units and the modules that control that unit. And, and you know, we have uh, uh, cars today that have vacuum-operated brake boosters, but they, they have vacuum pumps on them to run those boosters. Uh, it's a different world, and, and, and th things change, and, and they're not like they used to be back in the 70s and 80s at all. Yeah, I found that out. I've out, I've outlived my usefulness on working on cars. <laughs> I got to bring Dave, it that to you guys. Very, that is a very smart statement because it, you know to fix a car, you got to know how it works. You can't fix nothing if if you're not smarter than what you're working on. That's and right. if you don't if you don't know how it works, then you're not smarter than it. So well, you don't I, need to mess with it. If I don't have the tools, I might as well not mess with it. It's that simple. That's well, and and Joe and and the new eighteen wheelers like the twenty nineteen and the, yeah. and the twenty twenties, you know, they just coming out with them. They've all went to disc brakes on trucks now. Uh, but 
they all have ABS valve per wheel, and you have to go into the computer. If you replace one of the ABS valves, you have to go into the computer and tell it, okay, here's a new part number, here's a new serial number, turn me on and let me work now. Because if you don't, that yep. wheel will never work again. Good God. Yeah, you got to get in there and calibrate it and set it up because it's just like window yep. motors and a lot of things. You got to tell it you changed a part or it won't recognize it. Yes. You got to go in and put the, the part number and the serial number of the part in that computer, in the ABS computer, to tell it, okay, now I, I need it to work. And then you hit run and it'll run it, and then it's ready to go. All right, guys, we got our first segment done. Let's come. Did you have one more thing you wanted to put add into that, Joe? Well, I wanted to add into it. It's 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 on the eighteen wheelers and the brakes. They've set that up just like injectors, Duck. You can put a new set of injectors yep. in it, but if you don't program it, it ain't never going to start. <laughs> no, and some of them will start, but some of them will sit there and knock and clang and bang and rattle because it don't know how much fuel to put in the cylinder. Right. And those electric brakes are the same way. They got to be programmed and calibrated. Yep. It's got to be Think, told that I'm there. Things to keep in mind because everything on cars and trucks is changing and evolving as we go along. All right. We got to get a first break in. Let's do that. Uh, Joe and Duck will be with us in just a moment. We'll come back here at uh, the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. You just joined us, Joe and Ducker here, two of the finest car and truck mechanics here in central Arkansas, perhaps in the entire world. I mean, Joe is the Obi-Wan Kenobi of uh, car mechanics. He's been my mechanic for years and years and years, and I've used a uh, uh, duck as well over over the times as well i i got to get with his son to get my some extra lights put on my car here in the near future uh we've got a we've got a question for you guys from oliver he's got a 1998 subaru impreza is that correct uh it is a four seven uh four uh cycle 2.2 liter and here's the question it's kind of a roundabout question but a question nonetheless about three months ago, my radiator broke and the whole radiator was replaced. A couple of days ago, I noticed smoke coming from underneath my car. It's white smoke and not a lot. Plus, I don't notice a smell. When Googling the issue, the thing that came up most was coolant or something is leaking, but I haven't noticed any leaking. My car isn't overheating and I just got the radiator replaced. If it isn't coolant or something leaking, then what could it be? Now, I, I, I know the answer that I think you guys are going to give, and I'll tell you it when I hear what you have to say. But uh, this is a pretty simple question to answer, I believe. Go ahead, guys. Well, if, if it's leaking something, that means there's something going to be low. He needs to check his fluid levels. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as white smoke underneath there, he could have a power steering fluid leak. If it gets on the exhaust, it'll be white smoke. Antifreeze on the exhaust will be white smoke. Uh, you know, any kind of uh, liquid that hits the exhaust, if it's underneath the hood, can be smoking white. Uh, if it's not overheating, it may not be low enough yet on coolant if it's leaking coolant. He needs to check his fluid levels when that engine's cold and then see if See what's low, because if it's leaking something, it'll show up low. Now, the only other thing that could leak under there that caused white smoke would be AC drain. 
Sometimes that thing will drip down, sitting still, and get onto the exhaust or around the exhaust where it's hot, and you'll get a little steam from that. But he really needs to check his fluid levels to see what's low. Yeah, because the bottom line, what I was going to say is he's saying, hey, I don't see any leaks. It could be leaking and leaking on the hot engine, and it gets rid of any sign of where it's leaking from. But if you measure your fluids, then you can tell that there's a leak somewhere. Yep. Yeah, he's I've got learned. something leaking on top of the exhaust. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've learned you know, a few things from you guys over the 16 or 17 years we've been doing this. <laughs> well, it's, it's, just, it's just a matter of, you know, without being able to see that car, going from his description... You know, and and he's probably suspect of maybe possibly just putting a radiator in, and it overheated prior to putting that radiator in. There could be some excess fluid under there that's uh, leaking out now, and and maybe getting on something hot, blowing back, and getting on the exhaust, and and you know. But you know, when we do them here, we blow them off and we rinse them with uh, antifreeze. It's hard to get rid of, so you you pour clear water on it and blow it off, and try and get as much off there as you can, so you don't have any. Uh, fluid that leaked out from the previous radiator and got hung in some nooks and crannies on the transmission and the engine and stuff and do a little cleanup, right, Doug? Yes, well, you know, you got to clean it off because antifreeze will never dry up. It'll lay there forever. And it'll cook off, though. Oh, yeah, it, it'll oh. eventually cook it off if you get, you know, you keep running it enough and get it hot enough. I had a customer come in, he had a Jeep and had a bad a valve cover leak on you know how bad they are about leaking and yeah. it was caked on the exhaust about a quarter inch thick you know where it'd been leaking so long he come back yeah. to the shop four times telling me i still got an oil leak i said no sir you don't have oil leak i said here's what's wrong we took a screwdriver and and, and you know and, and cut and got most of it off but it took about about 1200 miles for it to finally get the rest of it burned off of it wow yeah, because he was seeing the smoke, thinking it was still leaking. Yeah. Well, he was smelling it. He never seen no smoke. He would just, you know, he'd pull up and stop, and he'd smell yeah. it. And I kept telling him, I said, it's just burning it off the exhaust. I said, there ain't nothing you can do about it. We tried to pressure wash it off and everything, and, you know, it just caked on so much, you just couldn't get it off. Yeah, it'd be caked on there like hard carbon, you know? Yeah. And then about, about, uh, about 1,200 miles, he said it finally quit smelling. <laughs> but he'd been driving it for two years leaking, you know, with the valve cover leaking on yeah. it. So. Yeah, he created that by not getting it fixed in a timely manner. Yes. All right, guys. I get Kerry. He's got a 2013 Dodge Avenger, and we've got about two and a half minutes left here before our next break. It's a 2.4-liter, four-cylinder, two-wheel drive automatic. It has 90,000 miles says, uh, my car was running fine, and then all of a sudden the battery light came on. I took my car home and left it overnight. I got back in the car in the morning and started driving to work. I got about 20 minutes away from the house, and it just died. I had someone jump it so I could get it back home, and it just died as soon as the jumper cables came off. I replaced the battery and the alternator, and still the alternator won't charge. Any ideas? Help, please. Well, I got a couple ideas. My my first question would be if the battery light was on, 
that's an indication to tell you that it's not charging. And if you parked it at your house, why would you drive it, try and drive it to work the next day, knowing that it's not charging and the battery's going to go dead? Then you're going to be on the side of the road and have it towed. So why wouldn't you just call from your house and have the tow done from there, save you that on-the-side-of-the-road experience? Number two, if somebody put an alternator and a battery on it and it is still not charging, then I have a feeling that it has got a blown fuse link somewhere, and whoever done that might not have done good enough testing to make sure that if the alternator failed on it and maybe possibly burn up a fuse link or a fuse, I don't think they've gone quite far enough on their diagnosis. What do you think, Doug? I think you're right, Joe. I think uh, he probably had an alternator shorted out and it blowed the, the charging fuse on it. It's a possibility, Joe. It could have blowed the ECM yep. on it. Absolutely. But all that is controlled through the ECM, and, you know, he's, uh, somebody's going to have to do some more testing to figure it out. It'll take, you know, an hour or so to get it figured out, and then we, you know, then you can repair what's wrong with it. All right. You know, all right, we, we've seen, Go ahead, Go ahead uh, Joe. We're going out. What I was going to say is we've seen some of those that are bring on an alternator light when it's overcharging. Yeah, and that'll be what gets the PCM. Seventeen, eighteen volts will get that PCM. All right, we got to get a break in, guys. Let's do that. Then we'll come back after the news. We got more questions for you. It's Joe and Duck here on the Dave Ellswick Show, answering your car questions. News is next. Then we will return. Now you've caught up with the world. You're back with us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Joe is here from Joe Sharp from Joe's Garage over on Crystal Hill Road. And uh, Duck is here. And uh, his real name is Don Godsey. He's the owner of Duck's Garage. It's out by the old airport in Benton, someplace that uh, you can look forward to going to. Uh, But if you're looking for a bumper-to-bumper certified service center, just Google it. They're all over the central Arkansas area, and uh, they all live by and die, basically, by the same rules and and regulations. So you're going to get good, good uh, uh, work from a bumper-to-bumper certified service center. Lisa has a 2007 Kia. It's an Optima. 2.4 2.4 liter, four-cylinder, two-wheel drive. It's an automatic, got 180, uh, 168,000 miles. The car will not go faster than 60 miles per hour. Switch the throttle sensor and accelerator sensor. What else could be wrong? What year model was it, Dave? Uh, 2007. Um, needs to be scanned, Dave. Got to scan yeah, it to I find it, couple, figure it out. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, I got a couple. I got a couple things that jump out at me there. You know, my first question would be: Does it have any lights on in it? And and yeah. number two, and that about, about it won't go any faster than that. When it gets to that speed, what does it do? You know, it could be a uh, restricted exhaust system, partially. It could be something wrong with uh, a weak fuel pump and not supplying enough fuel to get it to go any faster. There's a lot of questions here, like Duck said. We probably need a little more information to help on this. Uh, yeah. 
And and that would require hooking a scanner up to it and retrieving some data and, and probably doing a couple tests on it. What do you think, Doug? I, I, I think so, Joe. I think first thing they need to do is hook a scanner up to it and see how many codes in it. it like you say, it could have a, a cat efficient code in it. And you know what they'll do when they stop up? They'll, they'll put it down there. It won't even idle. And, you know, that could be what's going on in it. And, it. and it could be something else in the ECM doing it, too. But, you know, the biggest thing That's we're going to do is scan it and go drive it and see what it's doing. Now, you could have a stopped-up air filter on that. Two-thirds stopped up. won't let it run no faster than that. Combustion yep. engine ain't nothing but air pumps. Can't suck no air. Can't pump no air. Same thing with exhaust. Can't make no horsepower. That's it. It won't go. It'll restrict how fast it runs because the RPMs can't rise up any higher. Yeah, if you want to check that out, put a potato in somebody's tailpipe. (laughs) That'll work. Hey, you ain't supposed (laughs) to be doing that. (laughs) I I haven't done it since I was 17. I've not not done that. Uh, it, It cracked me up because... Yeah, I'm glad I wasn't standing behind the car because it finally did blow that potato out and it came out pretty doggone fast. It would have hurt if it hit somebody. Dave, yeah, I think that was the first potato gun. <laughs> it may have been. It, that, that's true. It just may have been. All right. Joe. Got an, go ahead. My, go ahead. My little brother had a Chevrolet pickup. Had the old, uh, had the, OHI, uh, the, the old style, you know, had the coil over off the the scriver cap i called yeah. his truck one time setting up in town I, I raised the hood and took the coil wire and put it on number one spark plug and put the number one up on the coil spot yeah <laughs> next morning he, he i got up the next morning he told me he said something's wrong with my truck i parked it now it won't start and i go up there and we mess with it and i raised the hood and i swap them back right quick before he ain't looking i said well try it now and it lights right up he finally figured out what i did to him and about a year later, he took my intake on my truck I had and stuffed it full of red yeah. shop rags. <laughs> That'll do it. He, he got me back about a year later. Yeah, it sounds like yeah. it. Let me, let me ask you guys to talk a little bit about this because Kia uh, years ago was thought of, you know, like Volkswagen used to be thought of when it first came on the market. Uh, and that's not the way it is any longer with Kia. Kia has really improved their products, haven't they? Well, they, they're they're a lot better quality product than they used to be. You know, <laughs> I think what you were comparing Kia to more along the lines was a Hyundai. You know, Hyundai you when go. they yeah. first hit the market, when they first hit the market, they weren't that good a car, and then they went out, and then they came back to business, and they have they're building a pretty decent vehicle now. And Kia is doing uh, a lot better with their quality of vehicle, too, although they are experiencing some issues with uh, some premature engine failures. But I think that's on an, on a recall now, and they're they're putting these motors in because of a of an oiling situation, and then I think they've corrected their issues on that. Okay, but it just goes to show that when you start building a car. Uh, and you start from scratch, you know a lot of things, but there's a lot of there's a lot of unknown unknowns. You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. You know, that's why when you go buy a new car, you get a two or three or four year warranty on it because they know things are not going to all be perfect on every car. And if they have an issue, they want to take care of that issue. So the customer's happy. 
And, you know, you have to remember that if you come into a bumper-to-bumper certified service center, uh, we offer a two-year, 24,000-mile warranty or a 336 if you use their credit card. So, uh, you know, a lot of times uh, if you have a part failure or installation problem on an aftermarket repair like at a bumper-to-bumper certified service center, there's an issue with it. There's still a warranty to cover it. And it's just as good a warranty as what you would get on a brand-new car. Sometimes I think it's even better. What do you think, Doug? Oh, oh yeah, Joke. I mean, because if you break down in California and, and I put a starter on your car, they will go get you and take you and get you a starter put on it, and it don't cost you nothing. They will That's take care correct. of you 100%. With a lot less complicated procedure, in my opinion. Yeah, you dial the 800 number and tell them what's going on and where you're at, and they'll come get you and take care of you. That's about as simple you know, as you can make it. I have one of your customers, Joe, that used to live over by you, and now he lives down here by me. And y'all had put a starter on his car, and it, and it was 23 months old and uh, went out. I called the people. They told me, yeah, put a starter on it. No problem. We'll take care of it from there. And they did. No problem. Didn't cost the customer nothing. That's the way it works. Now, that's why you guys are bumper-to-bumper certified service centers, because they back up their word. All right, let's get our break in. We'll get a break, and then we'll come back, and we'll finish it up for today. Joe and Duck are here on the Dave Ellswick Show. I, uh, I'm working on getting a specific uh, uh, email address for them, the car, the car guys. Uh, but right now I don't have that, so if you have a question, you can send it to me to Dave at Salem, S-A-L-E-M-L-R.com. Dave at SalemLR.com. More when we return. Well, let's finish it up for this Wednesday here on the Dave Ellswick Show with Joe and Duck, uh, Joe Sharp, Joe's Garage, Don Godsey, that's Duck from uh, Duck's Garage, uh, Duck's Garage over in Benton by the old airport, uh, Crystal Hills Road, North Little Rock for, for uh, Joe, and uh, both of them are certified service centers with bumper-to-bumper, and they're tremendous uh, technicians, as are all their technicians at their garage. Uh, I've got Danielle, a 2004 Pontiac Grand Prix. Ooh, nice car. Uh, a V6 automatic, got 208,000 miles on it. She says, I was told to start by changing the transmission fluid and have it checked for codes at a transmission shop. Question is, do I have a transmission flush or just change the fluid? I really don't want to have to take it to a shop if I don't have to. Anything that I can try before I take it in. I've already checked the fluid, and it's not low, but does look like it needs to be changed. All right, this is the kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't answer, guys. I'll leave it up to you. I would ahead, want to know what, what, yeah, what kind of symptoms she had, or is this just a maintenance question? You know, I, I don't know that, uh, you know, when you drain one today, you don't get all the fluid out of it. You know, and a lot of shops are not recommending flushes anymore, and a lot of the manufacturers aren't. We had a uh, GM product in here the other day that had a torque converter clutch shutter. It was like a uh, 2015, 2016. And uh, we did a little research on it, found a technical service bulletin out where GM recommends 
drain and refill, let it run, run through the gears, drain and refill, do it again, do it three times to get all the fluid out of it. They did not recommend flushing it because GM had put the wrong type of fluid in it to begin with, and the upgraded fluid went and drove it afterwards, and the transmission, no more torque converter shutter, and it shifted fire. So there's a lot to be said for that, isn't there, Doug? There is, Joe. You know, uh, these new cars take such different uh, transmission fluid in them. It's all synthetic now, and it, it's, uh, you know, you got to be paying a lot of attention what you put in these new cars. Because if you put the wrong stuff in it, you could destroy that transmission. And if it's got 208,000 miles on that car and it's never been serviced, I wouldn't mess with it. Yeah, I'm with you on that, Duck. Well, you know, know we don't know. Yeah, we don't know if she already has an existing problem. That's the question here. You know, know, she didn't say that. but, But if she has a problem... To, to finish the answer, if you don't have a problem and you ain't done your maintenance, leave it alone. It'll rear its head. But if you have a problem, yeah, it'd be worth the shot to flush it to see or or yep, service it or, it. you know, whatever. Try it. I mean, because if fluid's burned up, that was all that was wrong with this one that I had. The fluid was black in it because the fluid had broke down. But if yep. you had kept driving it with it and messing up, it would eventually burn the transmission up. So oh, yeah. you know, we're lacking a little information there. Does it have an issue with it shifting? If it does, service it. See if it helps. Yeah. It ain't going to hurt. I'm with you. All right. Oh, now you gonna, you gonna, go ahead. You're going to spend, you know, $100 or a couple hundred dollars for parts, you know, but it's, it's worth a try if you do have trouble. Yeah. If it's not having any trouble, like you said, leave it alone because it's yeah. way too late. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> Is that what you were saying? Yep, basically. All right. I've got a guy by the name of Orlando here, guys, and Orlando needs to pay more attention. He's got a 2002 Buick LeSabre. He's got 100,000 miles on it. He says, when I was adding oil to my car, a half bottle of the oil that I used was a blend for my weed eater. After a few days, the car started to run really rough and was trying to cut out. I checked the oil, and there was a yellow foam substance on my oil cap. I took it and got the oil changed in the car, but it didn't help. The motor still running rough, and when idling, it would sputter out and shut off. If I keep my foot on the gas and brake while stopped, it keeps from shutting off. While in drive, it's barely noticeable, but when braking or stopped, it gets really bad. Have I damaged my car? Well, I'm going to say if he put uh, the mix in there for his weed eater, he poured gas into the crankcase. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I don't think a little bit of uh, oil, the mixed oil in that, had anything to do with it. I think it's the fact he put a... a fuel in his crankcase and depleted his oil i I really i don't i don't think i've ever heard anybody doing that i've seen some washed down engines before and but the bottom line is yeah he can damage the bearings in the engine he can damage the and a lot of these engines today they don't have bearings in the top end do the duck they just got an aluminum head with a camshaft in it so there's a lot of things that could be damaged and there again joe it needs to be scanned and 
figure out if it does have, you know, you can scan it and look and see what's going on with it. Well, yeah, you know, and if, if it's not idling right and it's not running right, you know, it's, uh, boy, I, I just, I'm just thinking, you know, you got an open core to anything, don't ever pour it in your engine till you take a sample of it to see what it is. Pour it out in the cap and see what it, see what is yeah. going on with it. Yeah. You know, you kind of, kind of got to be smarter than what you're working on there, you know? Yeah. All right. I had one of my customers put fire steering fluid in his master cylinder. Ouch. No. And, and drove it about a month, coming there and the brakes, the front brakes was locked up on it. And yeah. the guy went, my guy went to put calipers on it and he come bring me a bottle over and he said, this is what's in the master cylinder. Uh oh. Mm-hmm. I wind up putting ABS module on it, wind up putting mass cylinder on it, wind up putting lines and calipers. And I mean, yeah. you know, it got expensive before I got, got it back up working again. Well, when he put that other fluid in there, that thing probably swelled up like a cantaloupe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Those rubber O-rings, if they're not made to run in petroleum products, they're made to run in brake products, they'll get three times their normal size. Wow. I feel feel sorry for that guy. Yeah. We get them a lot of times from the quick quick lubes that have done that to them, Duck, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, you guys want to get one last question in? Let's go for it. Sure. All right. Brandon's got a 2005 Pontiac Grand Prix 3.8 liter V6 four-wheel drive automatic. It's got 144000 and change on it. it. says, my wife was driving and the car stopped. She got to safety, didn't uh, see anything unusual. When I got there, I noticed she did not have an oil filter on the car. It must have fallen off because her oil change was up to date. I looked at the coolant and saw milky clay-like stuff in there. I want to flush, but only if it will be all right. Can I thoroughly flush if the car won't start? Uh, The car didn't overheat. If anything, it's a starter that might be bad. I don't know how long the coolant uh, has been looking like that. My fault. Any extra advice would be appreciated. Well, if the oil filter fell off of it, it's locked up. Yeah, he don't need a starter. <laughs> no, no, it needs a motor. Okay. The reason it won't crank, it's, it's seized up because it didn't have any oil in it. It doesn't no have filter. any oil. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> you know, Dave, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a common issue we have sometimes. The car will get towed in off the side of the freeway, okay? And it'll get to come to the shop. And the first initial check we have is we hit the key on it, and then the starter goes click, click, click. Okay, so is the starter bad? Yes, the starter's bad. We call the customer and say, well, the starter's bad. It won't turn the engine over. We've checked it, and it's burned up. All right, let's put a starter on it. Let's put a starter on it, and we hit the key, and it goes click, 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 and the motor still won't turn. Then we call the customer back, and I'll simply ask him, I say, well, what transpired before the starter issue. Well, I was going down the freeway, and the oil light came on. I tried to make it five miles to the next exit. No. Okay. So, so, or he, or the scenario is that we drove it five miles. It quit running. We kept cranking on it like the fuel pump went out, and we kept cranking on it till it burned the starter up. You know, information Everything. from the operator helps us 
because we could say, well, the starter's the effects of the fuel pump going out, or it's the effects of the engine locking up, and you kept trying to crank on it, and you burnt the starter up. If you just give us that information up front, it sure helps us diagnose your problem because you may have cause and effect. The starter is the effects of what the cause of the engine quitting running. So it's important, isn't it, Doug? Yeah, and, and he said the oil filter was gone, fell off of it, so you know it pumped every drop of oil out, and it locked Absolutely. up. And like you say, he probably burnt the starter up trying to get it to turn over. You know, it but it's really got to have a motor and a starter probably. Yeah. You know, so information, you can, we have folks that come in that try and sugarcoat that story, (laughs) which means they try and tell it as easy as possible, and they leave out this little part and that little part because they actually think that that's going to change what's wrong with the vehicle, and it's not. (laughs) You know, Paul Harvey used to say, and now we get the rest of the story. That's right. You get the rest of the story, and then you can... You can fix what the problem is, correct? I have there talked you go. to the customer four times. Dave, I have talked to the customer four times before I get the whole story. Wow. And then you get the whole story, and you say, okay, now I can repair it. Well, nobody wants to make themselves look like they don't know what they're doing, but you might as well fess sure. up right at the very beginning, going to save you time, Doc and Joe, going to save them time, and it's going to save them money. Yeah, well, sometimes you have, you, that's a fact. Every Sometimes you have this issue where it's the kid driving the car and he ain't been servicing it right. And he's driving down the road, the oil light comes on, he drives it till the engine locks up. Wow. And then he gets his buddy to come get him and they go put some oil in it and they fill it up, okay? And I then wonder if I heard that story hard. before. Yeah, and and then they tow it in, and you and you check it, and the motor's froze up. You can't turn it by hand. The starter won't turn it over. You can't turn it by hand. You pull the oil stick out, and the oil looks brand new with an old oil filter on it, okay? <laughs> and then you think, all right, you tell the father, well, this is what happened. The kid drove it till it didn't have any oil in it and burned it up. And he said, well, how do you know that? And I said, well, come out here. I'll show you. Got brand new oil in it, and you can't turn the motor over and an old oil filter on it. So if it had... Turned over at least two or three times, it would have mixed what little bit of old oil was left in there with that new oil, and it would have been brown, but it looks like brand new. So they poured it in after the motor lock. Joe, I got yeah. one one time on a 350 Chevrolet. Had the, pan, had the pan had a hole knocked in it where the rod come loose, and guess what was laying in the bed of the truck? Five quarts, five empty quarts of oil. <laughs> yeah. he's, trying to tell his, he's trying to tell his daddy I don't know what happened to it and the oil as you say the oil looked brand new there you go yeah. there you go alright guys thank you very much getting us set up for the rest of the week uh, here on the Dave Ellswick Show Joe Sharp at Joe's Garage over in Crystal Hills Road Duck uh, Joe or Don uh, Godsey from Duck's Garage over in Benton over by the old airport thank you gentlemen talk to you again next week here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Thank you.